Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the Ski or Die podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Monsivan. And I am Stevie Island. And we are really excited for today's topic. Um, we're really not going to be talking about ourselves much, actually. We're talking about something that's been a hot button issue in our sport and many sports for a long time now. We want to talk about growing the sport. Everybody always asks us as younger people, how do we get young people engaged? How do we keep them in the sport? We need younger people in our club. I mean, I think we've all heard variations of that. How do we get more juniors to compete? How do we get more juniors to ski at the lake? Um, there's just, you know, a can of worms of questions when it comes to young people in the sport. Um, and we certainly don't have all the answers. We're living in an era of young people um, and only, you know, in 20 years will we have the hindsight to actually look back and say, here's how we should have done it. But that doesn't do us any good now. So we pulled um, a lot of research, a lot of data and some studies about um, this younger generation and what they're looking for in sports um, first as a fan. So we want to talk about growing that fan base, a younger fan base, um, and then as athletes what kind of athletes they are, how they want to engage with the, their sport of choice. Um, and really a lot of this stems from I just started a new job, I'm working in sports now, working with female athletes as influencers to help them secure partnerships to make a better living for themselves, um, closing that wage gap between men and women in sport. So something we wanted to hone in on was, okay, we work with women of um, all ages, um, our rosters, you know, over 800 athletes deep, but we really wanted to make sure we were in tune with what those younger female athletes, um, where their heads at in regards to their sport. And so we, I started looking at this data, then I talked to Stevie about it over many lunches and many dinners, and I said, how can we apply this to skiing? So the first thing I want to get into on this, because this is an exciting topic, uh, there's a lot of, you know, territory we haven't, haven't really explored yet. Uh, but specifically, I want to talk about younger sports fans and their connections with athletes. Uh, and it's something that we could all relate to, right? We have someone, we, ha we were an idol, had an idol as we were growing up, as we were watching sports. We always had those guys and gals that we really looked up to and idolized. And for me, in water skiing, before I even really started paying attention to the pro tour or what, you know, who had won what tournament or specific stats about how many 41 offs or whatever you want to call it, the, the thing I really cared about was the athlete and, you know, their personality and, and what they, you know, did slash like how they were just day to day. As a person. That's almost like what I cared about more than the skiing aspect. Obviously, they had to be good and they had to be someone who was pushing boundaries in the sport, but it was almost like I almost cared more about what, who they were as a person, right? So I idolized Jamie Shane big time as a kid. So I was like, I don't know what it <laughs> you was. You and everybody else. <laughs> you know, I only met him like once at the Nationals, yeah. but for whatever reason, I felt drawn to him as a character almost in my head that I had drawn up. Um, I mean, mine was Karina Nolan. I remember at a tournament once, um, she, we were skiing, it was like a three round record, and they happened to put girls three uh, right after open women's and she said to somebody that she just got her nails done the day before light blue because light blue was her lucky color and I made my mom buy me every single bottle of light blue nail polish that I saw in the store for like the next five years because yeah. that was Karina Nolan that was my connection to her was liking light blue nail polish and I don't think she knows that I exist or ever knew that I existed yeah. but 
you know, I, I get where you're coming from. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up first because there was a quote that I wanted, um, that I saved that I wanted to read in regards to this idea of connecting with athletes. Um, this is from Heidi Browning. She's the CMO um, of the NHL. And she said that you see this shift in sports where kids are following athletes first, then they're following clubs, then they're following leagues because they want that one-to-one -one connection with the athletes or the athletes that they admire. And I think you're kind of one of the earlier case studies of that idea that it's an athlete first approach um, is it an athlete first approach is serving some sports really well right now because like just like how you wanted to connect with Jamie I wanted to connect with Karina um, it just it was almost more interesting to us than their skiing because skiing happens like that and then it's over <laughs> yeah and I remember once uh, I don't know when this came out I need to ask Chris about it but CP made a little like a super short video of him getting up in the Poles guest house at Covington in Louisiana. This is back when he was a world record holder. And it was just like a short clip of him getting up out of bed and like bringing the dogs outside and like getting ready to ski. And it had really nothing to do with skiing, but like I just remember that and I was like, oh, that's such a cool, it was like a lifestyle thing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's, I cared so much about that and like the idea of the pro skier almost more than like the accolades in the competition itself. So, I mean, you're a solution-based person. Would something like that be able to help, you know, water skiing or pro water skiing in general? Some sort of like video content of vlogging? Like I know a lot of guys are coming out with vlogs now. Yeah, there's so many great vlogs out there. Like I'm, I've just been so pumped to see like the consistency and dedication around vlogs right now in skiing. Um, and back to that little bit about um, that CMO of the NHL, you know, she said that um, they, the NHL has invested specifically in training courses with the players on how to use social media better. Because when they did polls of fans, um, the most feedback they got was that all the fans want to know what the players are doing when they're off the ice. They want to know about their wives and girlfriends, their dogs, their babies, and anything lifestyle. And I think that in skiing, we've been dipping our toe in that here and there is like sharing what we do off the water, everything around the water, just anything that is not skiing related. And I do think that that would be an excellent strategy for everybody to employ um, if we want to connect better with that younger audience because we don't spend all day on the water. Some skiers do, right? They coach a lot, but we don't actually ski all day long we all have lives and i think if we want to be relatable and actually connect with people as people um i think this is it's a great approach awesome and it's easy it is you're already living well, your life easier for you i think <laughs> you're really good at that you know the online personality projection well but you know i just studied um people that i thought did it well and I just, I, I mimicked their, the structure of what they did and like how they, like when they would apply text on image, when they wouldn't, um, how long they would do certain videos for, because I don't, I don't have all the answers and I figured, okay, I'm just going to copy like what works, but of course make it true to me and make it authentic to me. And I think that's all that any of us really can do is, is find somebody who does it well and then make it our own. Um, you know, something I, I hear a lot in the creative industry is there's seven original ideas in the world and everything else is just a different version of those seven. Mm -hmm. I kind of believe in that. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. And we said uh, similar things in music too. Um, but I'm curious, like, do you think quantity 
over quality in that situation. Like I know for me, this was it was hard getting into social media and it was hard kind of doing the, the stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost had to just kind of say, okay, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to go in and like post what I want to post. And, you know, of course, not everything was great. It wasn't amazing content, but at least I got started. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, would you say that quantity over quality is, is, is better when we're trying to, you know, get to where we're going in this conversation? Well, okay, so in the context of skiing, uh, I'd say quantity is better because it's it, the market's not oversaturated in content yet. So we're not competing on the basis of quality content yet. It's really just more like who's in front of who, who's in front of your face. That's who you're going to look at. Yeah. Um, I think as we see that quantity rise, quantity of number of, in terms of pieces of content, um, quality will become more important. But I mean, an easy way to get started is just do more Instagram stories right they're not evergreen content they go away you can do as many as you want in a day um and the algorithm's not going to deprioritize you for doing a lot of stories so you can kind of dabble with content and see what resonates and doesn't with your audience and it goes away so you know we're talking in the context of getting younger athletes involved uh, as fans Mm -hmm. um so that's interesting another another thing that we were talking about regarding athletes getting, you know, paying attention to the sport just in general were making events more interactive. I know you had mentioned something about that. Yeah, because I I was reading um, a poll done by a morning consult um, regarding Gen Z um, and their engagement as a sports fan. So relative to watching live sports. So for us, that'd be like the pro event webcasts, but in any live sports, Gen Z is less likely than any previous generation to identify themselves as a sports fan. I think that in itself just blows my mind because you would think that with how engaged they are um, on digital, that they would be like, of course I'm a sports fan. I can consume sports whenever I want now, but it's actually the opposite. They don't care for live sports because they know they can watch those clips. So they're more interested in like, let's take snowboarding or wakeboarding for instance. They wanna see the badass big flip tricks that the guy's flying through the air a million times and then he sticks the landing, but it's just a 10 second clip. And like, that's what they're gonna dig. Except instead of sitting around and watching the X games on the couch and actually like paying attention to the other runs and the full runs. Right. And the full competition day. Right. So you're, they're more interested in like the smaller clips that they, that, you know, have big. Well, I think it, I think it's also bigger than that. So like another quote that I, I saved for this conversation um, from Zach Linosis, um, Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives um, of the media company group Monumental Sports and Entertainment. He said their key to growing live sports viewership among their younger audience is accessibility and opportunities for engagement. And he went on to describe that as um, fostering gamification daily fantasy, free-to-play games, and ultimately sports betting. And I can't say that I really have ever seen those four things apply yet in skiing. I know there have been some like some ski fantasy league things that have happened. Yeah, they have a, a fantasy app or some, some thing like that. Yeah. My dad does it. But I think that gamifying the pro events is what he is speaking to. If you want them to engage with the live event, sorry, not pro event, the live event, uh-huh. you have to find a way to, to gamify it 
fantasy. I, you know, that's all new to me for sure because I've never seen it done consistently in skiing. What, so what are your thoughts? Would an example be the TWBC Audience Prize? Where you totally. choose the the podium and like basically you're you're kind of a sports bet, totally. but more of like a no non consequential, prize winning, betting situation. Yeah, yeah, and I I have to really like in that case you know really commend TWBC for being ahead of the curve on that. If this really is the future of how we get, um, if we're gonna call the younger generation Gen Z for the sake of this conversation, how we're gonna get Gen Z to um, give a damn about our live events essentially yeah sports betting is super interesting because it keeps growing and growing i know the industry is expanding at a rapid rate and you know there's multiple companies that have gone public like DraftKings, um and there's more and more states that are legalizing it and they're, they're actually are creating brick and mortar sports betting uh that's crazy to me like I've always been in states where it's been illegal to sports bet. Like, I've literally never lived in a state where I can say, hey, I'm going to go online and, and bet sports. Um, but to have a physical location, that would be so cool to have water ski involved in that. <laughs> but you can go and show up, and there's all those big screens up, and, like, water skiing's one, and, you know, kind of in the corner there. Hey, you can bet water skiing. Yeah. That is another way to expand it, though. I mean, people bet on anything. It's insane. And I've never thought about that before. I've never envisioned that as something that could be productive or supportive to the sport. I mean, think about horse racing, right? Right, right. Exactly. I mean, the whole entire industry is based off of the betting portion of it. Like the, the sport itself. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if there was no betting on horses. Well, nobody what, would talk what about would the it. sport be? Yeah, nobody would talk about it. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, okay, why why does this even matter? I think that what we need to remember, and this I, I took a lot of great quotes from different CMOs from all these different franchises, right? Because we need to look at what they're doing and their insights. They have so much data to, to comb through and collect from. Um, and, you know, Tim Ellis, um, this is the NFL's CMO. Um, he said that their data is showing that um, they have they have no effective strategy right now for bringing in 35-year-old fans for the first time. If they don't have them as a fan by the time they're 18, we lose them forever. Interesting. So I think that us banking on, and I've heard this said before, like, um, I skied as a junior, I skied in college, after college I had to move somewhere where I could get a job and I couldn't ski, you know, got married, had kids, and then I got back into skiing and I started skiing again around 35. Skiing is kind of the only sport where I've ever actually seen that play out, except for they technically were engaged by 18. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that the reason is because they were engaged prior. Right. So. But I think banking on, you know, let's just re-engage 35-year-olds is also not a solid strategy. The quote you had said just, you know, a few minutes ago about um, accessibility, mm-hmm. in, in what context was the accessibility part of that quote? Like, is that accessibility to watching the event? Uh, let me read it again. Said I, the key to growing live viewership among young fans are accessibility yeah, so and Yeah, so accessibility to actually engagement. viewership. Yep. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, okay. Here, you know what? Actually, I didn't read the first half of this other quote. Sports properties need to make sure their games are digestible and available via streaming products. Does that answer your question at all? I feel like that's kind of just obvious. Um, <laughs> okay, so we also wanted to talk not only about fandom, but also about athletes themselves. Yeah, and I think this is what's, I mean, really hits home for you and I and is super important to us on a personal level. Yeah. Um, but we do need fans to have a sport. But yeah, I, I mean... How much conversation have we really had um, in any sport 
about the difference in coaching different generations because the reason we lump things into generations is there's a common series of life events that a group has gone through that usually shape their way of like thinking and behaving right so it's not an end-all be-all but I can't say that I've ever heard anybody other than saying like oh you know these old guys which is not uh, the most intellectual way of really talking about coaching different age groups and I think it would be fun to just talk about what is Gen Z looking for in coaching and you have a study that, that backs that up, right? Uh, yeah, I have a couple. I have a couple studies and a couple articles. Um, but then, you're like, you technically are a Gen Z. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I've always identified as a millennial, as like a very young millennial. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, I'm a young. I was born in '95, March of '95, so I'm a kind of a cusp. I'm kind of an in betweener. In betweener. Yeah, <laughs> I call myself that. I feel like I understand more millennial pop culture references than Gen Z ones personally, right. yeah. but um. Like I'm more of a '90s kids than '90s kid than a '2000s kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but specifically re- regarding the Gen Z athlete study that you had brought to me this morning. Mm. So uh, this was a great study, and you can just Google it and read it. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's it was published um, in the Journal of Coaching Education. Um, it's titled "The Preferred Coaching Styles of Generation Z Athletes: A Qualitative Study." It's actually published, if you can believe this, in August of two thousand and twelve. Really? So I would love to see this redone, of course. That's crazy. But the fact that these themes were becoming apparent back in 2012, I think is very interesting. I feel like even you and I have missed out on a window here just to understand this and and act off of it. Um, Well, that's interesting that I didn't know that. But now that you say that, you know, I was only, what, 17? So I feel like this is relevant. This is, yeah. To me. (laughs) So we are back to making it about you. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Um, but some things that really stood out to me, and I actually talked about this on a couple uh, videos on TikTok this week, but I wanted to dig into this more in conversational form with you and see, get really get your feedback. Um, historically, the top five reasons that children participate in sport are having fun, doing something they're good at, staying in shape, learning new or improving skills, and then five was playing as part of a team. And although this has remained very consistent across generations, uh, Gen Z is the first generation to slightly alter that first reason. They have redefined um, what they mean by, quote, having fun in sport. So previous generations used to identify having fun as the happiness derived from sport. Instead, Gen Z has begun to define it as being a better athlete, becoming more competitive, and advancing to more highly skilled levels of training. So I think that the fact that they see fun is different and something we see in our sport, and I'm sure happens in all sports, is we say to these kids, go have fun. We don't even know what have fun means to them. Like what we're saying to them means something totally different than what we meant to say, basically. We mean go enjoy happiness, right? Go feel happy. They want to go get better. Hmm. What, do, what do you think of that? I mean, that's great. I think just at its core, that's fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I don't know if I'm biased or if what I'm seeing is filtered or what, but 
I've seen a lot of young, young people on TikTok and social media and online just, they seem to be so ambitious. Like if they have a hobby or something, like they want to turn it into a profitable business. So they want to turn it into a side hustle, you know what I mean? Or it's like, if they have a hobby, they want to figure out what's the path to being my greatest self in this endeavor. And they almost seem to like research and like give themselves that direction, uh, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. And something that I didn't have really early on, like I didn't really gain that, you know, outlook or what have you until I was much older. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. 24, 25. I would agree with you. I've seen a lot of themes of ambition at a very young age. I think back to when I was very here and there getting to coach younger skiers um, and they were very young but there was like these wicked levels of ambition in these little kids and at the time I was like okay this is just like a spunky kid that's cool but I think I was missing the fact that there was this bigger overarching theme of drive and ambition in these young kids and I think skiing is an exemplary you know example of that mm -hmm. like I feel like they come from, most of the time, they come from families who are super successful and, like, they just have that attitude about them from what I've seen in this in the sport. It just is, like, kind of like a type A, kind of get your shit done, have your shit together type Skiers sport. type A? <laughs> Never. <laughs> so maybe that's why. But even I, in general, I think I've seen that trend. And I don't know, maybe it's placebo or whatever, but... Well, it's something that I certainly hope is true. And I know we're making broad statements. And once again, this is one study. I've looked at a lot of other studies, um, but I just thought this one was uh, kind of just like well-rounded. Like I read through it. And I was like, this tells a, a pretty clear story. Um, and the, there's a contrast though. In, I don't want to be ageist. <laughs> and I don't want to ruffle any feathers. But I've seen a lot of older skiers go out and they don't care what they run and they just want to have fun in the water, they, which is fine. But they, for just, the they just want to float around side, on the water, right? right? And that makes them happy. Yes. But then maybe the the younger athletes, but it could be just because they're younger and more spry. I'm sure that would be the excuse that would be made. Right. I mean, you'd have to. Case it's like, oh, by when case. you're 60 and feel like shit, you're gonna want to just go out there and have fun <laughs> too, right? But you know, okay. So like, I'm I'm the youngest millennial, right? I was born in '94. However, when people ask me like, why is skiing fun to you? I've always said because it's the game you can never win. You can always get better. I totally identify with the themes of this study. No matter how good or bad I've actually been at skiing, I think I think this is I think we're discovering a major thematic disconnect between older skiers and younger skiers. Older skiers think that having fun in skiing is the happiness that they feel and the community. And the community and we or not we, younger skiers and I just identify with this personally, see it as I'm going to get better at a skill. Mm -hmm. That's fun for me. And that's more important than the social aspect, maybe. Yeah, you know, something I found really interesting about the study was that none of the uh, themes in conclusion had anything to do with socializing. Hmm. And I think that's another maybe potential pitfall we've fallen into is we have always assumed that kids don't want to ski because there's not enough social to it. And I think social is, of course, very important, the social aspect. But I think we're, we're placing blame on the, wrong, on the wrong area. With how much tension and aggregation I've seen between younger generations and older generations, especially with 
the way the news outlets in this country have been going and and just like the you know left versus right the boomer versus millennial you know that theme has been like pounded into the earth right Mm -hmm. with how much that's happening it's almost like it's easy to kind of avoid each other and something that my dad always said is that he liked water skiing because it forced young people to interact with adults and even though you know our attention's at an all-time high we do have to interact with people who are much older than us Mm -hmm. you know even as you and i are 27 we're full-grown adults right you know what i mean but we're still in this situation where we do have to interact with older people and maybe that's a good thing. I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's totally an eight. You go to a nationals, right? U.S. nationals. We're going to see probably some six-year-olds skiing their first nationals, <laughs> seven-year-olds, all the way to people in men's and women's nine. It really is like the full spectrum. But when it comes to looking at those that age range... Um, something I found really interesting in here was that um, there was a, a different study done that suggested that by age 12, youth athletes have made their decision on long-term sports participation or not. So 12 is far beyond, far younger than what um, well, you and I ski boys and girls three. But this is, obviously it's different now, but 12 is, is much younger than what I would have thought. Yes. I would have thought like 16, 17. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. There was a section about volunteers as well. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Okay, let me scroll down because I want to get to the major themes of the study. And like I said, I highly recommend that everybody just read this study for themselves because like this is just my interpretation of it. Um but the, the third theme that they found is in speaking with these Gen Z athletes is that they are looking for, they are looking to surround themselves with people who are knowledgeable in the sport. And their awareness of how knowledgeable an adult was or wasn't in the sport and like their level of credibility, I think was slightly astounding because you would think, okay, they're new to the sport, they don't know. How can they know that we don't know? But, um, they do, and they want to be surrounded by uh, coaches and people who can actually practice what they preach, which was another mind blow to me. They want their coach to be able to do, let's, okay, make it about skiing. They're, they want their coach to be able to ski as well as they're being asked to ski. Interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. And I think we have a lot of coaches in this sport who do that. There's a lot of pro skiers and retired pro skiers who they, they can execute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never actually thought of it that way. Okay, so to speak to what you had asked me originally about volunteers, um, I'm going to read this to you and I want your reaction. So a prominent theme among participants was unknowledgeable or poor leaders who lacked training and exposure to coaching situations. They describe these individuals as someone who was inexperienced in either the activity or serving as a leader for the activity. One of the commonly discussed issues regarding poor leaders is the large number of volunteers that serve as coaches in youth sports. Interesting. Well, I I feel like the, the main, if you get to the root of it, beyond all the verbiage, I feel like it's just they want better coaching in general. 
I mean, it's plain as that, right? Which you can't. Which fault you them. need. You need more resources allocated towards it, you know. But that's just beyond my scope, you know. The the researchers said that while it may appear that providing an uneducated coach is better than no coach at all, this may in turn become a detriment to the youth's athlete experience overall. Yeah, I mean, the problem is it's so generalized, right? Like, the idea of a volunteer in a sport ranges so broadly. Oh, completely. Totally So, true. like, in skiing, for instance, like, the volunteers that show up to a record-capable tournament are all relatively, compared to other sports, highly trained individuals, mm-hmm. right? Of course. It's not like flag football with seven-year-olds. Uh, yeah, I think skiing, if we're going to look at skiing in this context, we have much more rigorous training for volunteers than I could say, like, my awareness of other sports is. Yeah, by far. So maybe this is something that we're actually, like, doing well on, but doing well at, but do we know it, and, like, how do we capitalize on it further? If this is what youth is looking for, how do we um, capitalize on the fact that we do have a lot of experts in the field without putting ourselves on a pedestal to those youth athletes? Interesting. Do you see where I see, I could see a potential conundrum there? Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So they want more almost humility in the idea of a volunteer coach? Well, okay, let me, let me, let's back up to some of these other themes. Might help make more sense. So uh, the the number one theme, believe it or not, what they were looking for, um, Gen Z athletes in sport, right? They're looking for a coach that remains calm and does not yell. I was shocked by how oddly specific of an ask that is, in a way. I mean, it makes sense, for sure. Especially for young people, like, you know, school-aged children. I mean... Well, something, so in here somewhere, um, I can't find the exact quote, because I'm scrolling through as fast as I can, but they suggested that because... Uh, Gen Z spends so much time um, communicating digitally, texts, uh, sending videos back and forth, whatever, um, that they are more sensitive to verbal conversation in terms of the audio level. Because when something's too loud in their world, they can turn the volume down. So they quite literally don't want to be yelled at because they can't turn it down. And they also think it's hard to understand somebody when they're yelling. And to speak to our original point of they want to get better at their sport, if they can't understand the ask, that's extremely inefficient. So they, they don't like the volume, but they also don't like the confusion. Not what I expected. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough ask in a world of, like, football, for instance. I mean, you're, you're going to get yelled at, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like, jeez. But, you know, I, I do see where they're coming from in terms of wanting to be able to understand the coach better because, like we were just talking about, they're looking for people who are experts. If you can't communicate intelligently, why would they see you as an expert? Well, yeah, and if you're getting yelled at, it's hard to progress in a skill, especially if it's a difficult skill, mm-hmm. like skiing. Um, so that's interesting. Which brings me to the second theme was that they're looking for an environment that was caring and encouraging. I don't see I don't see that as a surprise. I think that's almost common sense. Um, if it's an environment where you feel safe and you feel like the coach um, and whoever else is involved is looking out for your best interest, you're going to do better in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's cool to see it in here said kind of plain plain as day um, under the direction players can learn in a comfortable environment without worrying 
about making mistakes. They can be confident that their coach will assist and encourage them to succeed. Well, that goes back to, that just goes, it breaks down to trust. If you trust your coach, you're going to be able to progress more quickly. I think I see, like, what I see a lot of in in this, um, you know, when we were talking about growing the fandom, we were talking about fans want to have relationships with athletes first, and then the club, and then the bigger organizations, you know, tertiary. What I'm seeing here is that these athletes, these youth athletes, they want to have a relationship built on trust with their coach. Mm -hmm. So it starts with a one-on-one relationship, and then it can grow and expand from there. I mean, it's kind of what the research is pointing to, and I don't think that's any surprise. I mean, everything in the world, in a way, you could say comes down to the quality of relationships. Yes, it's a huge factor in happiness. Yeah. There's been multiple studies that have confirmed that. that. The biggest factor in your happiness as a human being is your relationship with your closest friends and family. And I mean, that, that really is a nice segue into the fourth theme, which was... Um, they're looking for a coach that will involve the team in the decision-making process. Um, they, they, they just want to be able to voice their concerns about like what's actually happening to them on the field of play um, to build that, you know, quote, stronger coach-athlete connection, potentially enhancing team cohesion and motivation. Which I think is totally fair. Anytime that I've had... Um, like a weird equipment thing where I'm like, does this look right? I don't know. And I want to be able to feel like I can say to my coach, like, hey, do we need to tweak this? Mm-hmm. You know, is this going to be okay? But if it's, I don't know, an environment where I don't feel safe and I'm young, right? And I, I don't know everything. Maybe I don't say anything. And maybe it is faulty. And then maybe I get hurt. And that's a bad experience. Right. Hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. I think that was really enlightening. Did you? Did you, Stevie? I did. There was another, hold on, before you make me end too early. (laughs) Um, I was reading, um, this is a a blog from the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. Uh, In 2019, they released um, a blog about recommendations around coaching Generation Z athletes. It's quite lengthy as well. Um, But I'm just going to read these themes off just real quick, okay? Explain the why. So like Gen Z athletes, like they want to know why. You're asking them to do what they're doing. Communicate effectively. We've talked about that. Uh, Be direct. I mean, they're looking for people who know what they're talking about. Uh, Focus on quality over quantity. quantity. Um, Interesting, because we were just talking about social media, making it more quantity over quality. Uh, Build independence and promote resiliency. So why each generation is considered softer than the previous one, Gen Z is known to have heightened difficulties in dealing with adversity. Interesting. Um, once again, I would totally Google that one as well. I think this is a great article, um, but I, I really dug into that study. I thought that was really useful information. And um, I'm definitely going to be looking for these themes, you know, like this season as I engage with um, people at tournaments, like fans and people that we meet, and then youth, junior athletes. Um, any time we can facilitate the kind of messaging and engagement that they're looking for, I think we should try. We gotta, we gotta walk the walk now. We've ta- everybody's talked about growing the sport and keeping youth engaged. And I, I think that if there's data out there, which there is, we just needed to Google it, like shame on us. Um, we need to give it a shot. Yeah, and the time is now. Time is now. I mean, geez, let's do it. Let's do it. 
All right, guys, episode's over. Thanks so much for listening. And if you want to rep the Ski or Die cause, head on over to skiordie.shop. See you next time.